Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. All right. How's everybody doing today? How, how did we enjoy that awesome set of worship that we had this morning? It was great, right? I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I'm... I was, and not for nothing, hearing you guys give, sing praise and worship to the God. This house is getting fuller and fuller as the weeks go by. And let me tell you something, that is a great thing to see here in Elizabeth and especially in Christ Fellowship. Well, uh, I don't want to forget our online family. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those who don't know, my name is Eddie. And as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys here this morning to share the infallible, the awesome, the amazing, the outstanding word of God. How many of you are ready for that right now? Oh, we are ready. I like it. It's good. Well, if it's your first time here, whether it's physically or tuning in, you have tuned in. You have joined us at one of the most awesomest, coolest seasons in Christ Fellowship history. You see, we are going through the Bible book by book this entire year. And so far, it has been an amazing journey. And the reason why we're doing that is because God wants us to be strong in him. He wants us to be mature in him. He wants us to really know who he is and how he wants to be involved in our lives. He wants us to be anchored in him, which, by the way, is the word of the year for Christ Fellowship. So far, as we have continued throughout these books, we have learned so much about who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. We have seen his hand move throughout the history of his people. We have seen God guide and intervene in the lives of the people back then in history. And we have seen him move and intervene in the lives of every single person here as well as we have done so. And the cool thing about it is, We're only just a few books in. There's so much more for us to learn. We're just scratching the surface of what God is trying to show us, what God wants us to know about him, how he wants to be active in our lives. It's an amazing thing. Last week, Pastor Carlos mentioned something really cool in his teaching. It was right at the very beginning of his teaching. How many of you, I'm going to give you guys a quick little test. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Yes, I am. Right. What book did Pastor Carlos teach about last week? Kings. He taught about first and second kings. Yes, you guys were paying attention. Got you, PC. Don't worry. They were awake. Right. So he taught about first and second kings. And the little nugget that he shared with us that I, I, I don't know why this stood out to me, but it did, was that first and second kings was originally just one huge long scroll. And it was divided into two books because of its length. Well, the book that we're going to be talking about today, they have that in common. This book was so lengthy, the scroll was so lengthy that they had to divide it into two books. How many of you, I'm testing Bible knowledge right now, oh snap, how many of you know what book follows Kings? Oh, yes, I knew you guys would get it. I I just want to bet. Right? Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles. The book was so lengthy they had to divide it into two books. So when we look at this book as a whole, 
Don't think of 2 Chronicles as, oh, this is a separate book. No, it's all one book. It's actually a straight continuation as you read it. Well, I have some tidbits of info about Chronicles that I want to share with you guys, so that way every single one of us here is on the same page and we know what we're talking about. And I think it's pretty cool, right? First Chronicles. First Chronicles has 29 chapters, 29 chapters. Second Chronicles has 36 chapters. For all you mathematicians right now who are adding that number up, that turns out to be 65 chapters, 65 chapters for one scroll. That's amazing. The book of Chronicles, it is historical in nature. It's a historical book. It recaps a lot of, it, uh, a lot of the history of God's people. The authors, the authors were not completely sure, but the consensus is among all the theologians across the world is that the book was written by Ezra and Nehemiah. It has two authors, Ezra and Nehemiah. And the cool thing about Chronicles is that if you look at the books that follow it, it's Ezra and Nehemiah. So for next week, you guys know it's the book of Ezra. Right? Unfortunately, though, we don't know the exact dates or period of when the book was written. But only what we know is that it was written about 100 plus years right after God's people had returned from the Babylonian exile. Now, you have to think about this. The Babylonian exile is something that's very super important in the history of God's people. And when we read Chronicles, sometimes we tend to read it as if, oh, this was happening to the people right then. No, Chronicles actually was written 100 years after the events of what they were writing about. So it's kind of like a peek back into the history of God's people, which is what Chronicles is about. And the exile is super important. The exile of God's people, the Babylonian exile is super important because it sets up the entire purpose of why Chronicles was written in the first place. The whole purpose of the book of Chronicles can be summed up in two words, hope and commitment. Hope and commitment. And I'm wondering right now how many of us need a little bit of hope and some commitment in our lives. And as we continue this morning with our time together, we're going to see how those two things fit into our lives, hope and commitment. One of the coolest things about this book that's very interesting is that a lot of us, when we pick up this book, we're, we will quickly realize we're going to open up and we're going to quickly realize that a lot of the stories we're very, very familiar with, a lot of them. And that is sometimes an unfortunate thing. Because I remember years ago when I read through Samuel and when I read through Kings and then I got the Chronicles and I opened it up, I said, wait a minute, I know about David. I read all about David already. And I skipped over a couple chapters. Oh, wait a minute. It's talking about Solomon now. I know all about Solomon. I skipped over a couple chapters. Kings, wait a minute, all these kings? I read about all the kings already. And I skipped over it before I knew it. I was at the end of the book. And that is very unfortunate because what we'll do sometimes is that we think that the book of Chronicles has a whole bunch of repeat information. And what we'll tend to do is we'll skip over that book. But it's not repeat information. The author of Chronicle adds in a whole bunch of new details to the stories of David, Solomon, and it introduces to us new kings that we've never read about before. And some of these stories and some of these kings can only be found in this book. So if you skip over Chronicles because you think you know the stories already, you'll miss out. You'll miss out on some really, really interesting, cool things. 
And speaking of the chapters and in speaking of the people, let's just summarize these chapters really fast. Chapters 1 through 9 in 1 Chronicles, that's what we're going to start. And I'm going to touch on these chapter breakdowns very briefly because there's so much that I know that God wants us to get into. Chapters 1 through 9, they touch on the genealogy from Adam all the way to King David, right? And what I mean by that, when I say genealogy, I mean that the first nine chapters of Chronicles is nothing but names. Nothing but names. This person begot this person. This person begot this person. This person begot this person. This person had five kids. This person had seven kids. These are all their names. And I'm not going to lie to you. Man, that's boring. But I'm a nerd. I love stuff like that, right? And I'm not saying God's word is boring. I'm saying that for me, it's like, you know, kind of like, oh, man, like, wow, this, this is nine chapters. This is a lot, you know, nine chapters, right? But because I do my research and because I love God's word, I know that this is put there for a reason and that it's important. It's important for two reasons. One, the genealogy traces David's bloodline all the way back to the beginning when God first created Adam. That is amazing. Can you imagine that, trying to trace your bloodline all the way back to Adam? I know we have 23andMe right now, but 23andMe isn't going all the way back to Adam. This is the first thing. And the reason why I think it's so cool is because, in, as we find out later on in this year, the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, they also have genealogies. But their genealogy is tracing Jesus back to David, all the way back to the beginning, to show the royal bloodline. That's amazing. Now, the second reason, I said there were two reasons. The second reason why I think this is important is because for any of you guys who are married and are expecting children, you don't have to go on the Internet. There's nine whole chapters of names that you can look right here. That's awesome. Now, think about it. You're doing two things when you do that. You're reading God's word, boom, and you're looking for a name for your, for, uh, your child that's coming along the line. Listen, I'm telling you right now, the next baby dedication, I can see some Shadrachs. I can see some Bokus. There's some Elimelechs coming up in here. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. If it happens, I'm going to be so excited. Oh, thank you, brother. Yeah. All right. Chapters 10 through 29, as we're moving forward, we're going to spitfire this real fast. Chapters 10 through 29 are all about, are all about the reign of King David. All about the reign of King David. And the cool thing about it is, is that there are some similar stories. Yes, we've read them before in Samuel and in the book of Kings, but there's new information. The chapters 10 through 29, there are a few chapters in there that speak about the gathering of the materials for the building of the temple. And there are conversations between David and God within that time frame that are very, very important and conversations that can't be found anywhere else. At the end of the first book of Chronicles, David dies. And then we begin 2 Chronicles. And 2 Chronicles begins immediately where 1 Chronicles leaves off with the reign of King Solomon. And first, I'm sorry, in 2 Chronicles chapters 1 through 36 is all about the kings. All about the kings. But the author switches it up because he only touches on the kings in the southern kingdom. Remember last week, Pastor Carlos and as, we, as he said today during communion, the kingdom was divided. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. But this portion in Second Chronicles, the whole book only touches on the southern kingdom and the kings of the southern kingdom. Why? Because the southern kingdom was the line of David. It was the kingdom of Judah. 
And there are new kings that are introduced into here. And I love that is, and I love that is because it's almost like God is giving us this huge character study. This huge character study because there were good kings and there were bad kings. And it's almost as if, as if God is kind of telling those, hey, listen, pay attention to the kings that were good. Look what they did. Look how they worshiped me. Look how they followed me. Look at the life that they lived and how they honored me. And look how they were blessed. And then look at the bad kings. Look at how they didn't follow me, how they excluded me from their life. Look at the life that they lived and how bad it became. It's almost like God is telling us, listen, do what these kings did. Don't do what these kings did. And if you want to know what not to do, look at these horrible kings that led throughout this time period. It's this really big, cool character study. And I think God is giving that to us because he wants us to have a deeper understanding of how he wants us to live, how he wants us to lead, how he wants us to treat others, how he wants us to live a life that honors and follows him. And he does it so well. It's almost kind of like he's painting this picture in vivid detail because he doesn't want us to miss it. And I love it when you know, there's a paragraph that we may read in the word, and there's like so much detail that you can almost picture yourself in that space, in that time, seeing what is going on. And God does this in Chronicles. The last few verses, we're almost there. The last few verses of chapter 36, which is the last chapter in Second Chronicles, it covers very briefly the Babylonian exile. Very briefly. The other books that follow Chronicles cover it in huge detail, but it covers very briefly the Babylonian exile and the decree that the Persian king Cyrus gave to God's people. And the decree was, you are allowed to go back to your land. You're allowed to go back to your land to rebuild your homes, to rebuild your cities, and to rebuild the temple. And then Chronicles ends. It ends on that cliffhanger. Well, what did they do? Did they go? Did they do it? We're going to find out. One thing that I love so much about this is that, think about this, God's people at this time have gone through so much. A divided kingdom, good and bad kings, so much disobedience that the favor of God's hand was taken off of them, that other nations were allowed to invade their country, their city, lay the city waste, destroy the temple, take the treasure, take the people of God away from the city into a foreign land and held them prisoner. How many of you know how long the Babylonian exile lasted? 70 years. They were taken prisoner away from where they knew for 70 years. And finally, they were able to come back. If you talk about a nation that needs a little bit of hope, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not going to say my age, but I know that there's some people here that aren't even 70 right now. And I know that there are some of us here that need hope. And we're in our 10s, 13, 14s, 15, 20, 35 years old. We're not even 70. They were taken captive seven, for 70 years. Talk about some hope. The temple in the book of Chronicles, as I mentioned, it was destroyed. The temple in the book of Chronicles is one of the main areas of focus. There's a whole bunch of other ones, but there's... The temple is a main area of focus. It has so much significance. About three chapters are dedicated to it in the first Chronicles. And in second Chronicles, there's about seven whole chapters dedicated to the temple building. It's almost as if God is trying to signal to us, hey, listen, pay attention to the whole stuff that's going on about the temple. There's something important there that I want you guys to learn. 
Well, let's see what God has to say about it. In 2 Chronicles, King Solomon, he picks, up, he picks up right where David left off. All the materials for the temple building are there. They're all there. So Solomon takes on the assignment. He's like, you know what? I have to finish my father's, uh, what my father started. I'm going to finish the building of the temple for God. So Solomon finishes it. He finishes it. He knew the task. He completed it. It took him a while, but he did. When Solomon completes the temple, there is a huge celebration in the city. He is gathering everybody from every corner of the city to come and realize that the temple is finally, be, that the temple is finally finished. The Ark of the Covenant The Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes God's presence, the day they dedicated the temple, was being ushered into the temple at that time. I can imagine the people. There was singing. There was praise. There was worship. If fireworks existed back then, there were fireworks going off behind the temple. Can you just picture it? It's amazing. Everybody was excited about what was going on, including Solomon. So after the temple was done being built and that celebration had happened, the word says that Solomon retreated back to his palace later that evening, and that God came to Solomon, appeared to Solomon, and had a conversation with him. And in this conversation, God tells this to Solomon, Solomon, this place will be a place where sacrifices are made to me. This place will be a place where sacrifices are made to me. He's talking about the temple. He, he also tells Solomon that when my people, because God knows everything, when my people go into disobedience, when my people go into sin, when my people are doing the things that I don't want them to do, and I end up cutting off the rain from heaven, when I send a locust their way, when I send a plague their way because of their disobedience and because of their sin, this is something that I want you to let them know because of the sin and the disobedience that they are going And he tells this to Solomon. It's one of the most coolest verses in all of the Bible. I'm pretty sure you've heard it. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 16. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I love this verse. I'm going to read it again because it's so good, so good. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Remember, he's saying this in reference to if the people are in sin and in disobedience and not following him, if they do this, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I love this verse so much because it has an if-then clause in it. If my people do this, then I will do this. Well, what are some of the things that God has called us to do in the middle of some of those things? The first thing that he mentions is that we have to, excuse me, amen. First thing that he mentions is that we have to humble ourselves. That sounds like, oh, that's easy enough. But but doing that, let's be honest with ourselves for a second. Doing that is one of the hardest things to do. Why? Because it involves us admitting that we are wrong. And because of pride, that's why it makes it really hard. 
It involves us admitting that we are wrong, that we don't have all the answers. Humbling ourselves is very hard because it takes us admitting that we are not living life the right way and that there is a God and we're not following him. We're going against him. Humbling ourselves takes a confession from us to acknowledge our own shortcomings. It's one of the hardest things to do because nobody really likes to admit any of those things about themselves. But God says it's one of the things that we need to do. Another if that he talks about, another if that he talks about is prayer and seeking his face. Who are we turning to? Who are we turning to when everything seems to be collapsing in and all around us? Who do we turn to? Who do we turn to when the diagnosis is bad? Who do we turn to when we lose our job? Who do we turn to when a loved one passes away? When things don't turn out the way that we want, who or what do we turn to? Because I'm telling you right now, who or what you turn to tells a lot about who is sitting on the throne of your heart. It says so much. Is it, is the first person you turn to our Lord and Savior? Or is it someone else? Or is it something else? When times get really tough, when it's time to really buckle down, who do we go to? I'll be honest. The first person I turn to is not my wife. It's not. She'll tell you. She knows. First person I turn to is not the person that I consider the closest person to me that's going to live the rest of my life with me. It's not my wife. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The last if, the last if is turning from our wicked ways, meaning, meaning that the sin that is in our life, the sin that is in your life, you are finally acknowledging it for the sin that it is and turning away from it and heading into the direction of where God wants you to be, heading into the, into the direction of God. And a lot of times, we don't want to admit sin as being sin. We don't. What we kind of do is like, we kind of like gauge sin by its levels. Like, this is a really bad sin. This is a really, really low sin. And what we kind of do is like, you know what, this, this sin right here, it's so small. It's so insignificant. I don't really have to acknowledge that. Just go over there. Go over there. But I hate to break it to you. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. No matter how you slice it, sin is sin. So if we do all of those things, the word says, the word, not me, the word says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I don't know about you, but we are in some definite need of healing, aren't we? I mean, if you just take a look at everything that's going on around us right now, I mean, all you have to do is turn on Fox, CNN, whatever's your preference, YouTube, doesn't really matter. Everything that's going on in the world right now, but let's just make it even a little bit more personal. Our nation is in need of healing. Our world is in need of healing. Our city, Elizabeth, is in need of healing. Our streets, the streets that we live on, are in need of healing. Our schools, the school system, is in need of healing. Our homes, our families are in need of some healing. Marriages, the relationships that we're involved in, they are in need of some healing. But that only happens if my people, who are called by my name, 
more often than not, we tend to stop right there. We read that verse, hallelujah, I'm done, I'm good. I'm almost positive that if I were to scan the Bibles of the people in this congregation, that verse is probably underlined. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have that verse underlined too. It's cool. It's no big deal, right? But what, one thing that I learned a long time ago was that if you want to know the areas you need to work on, look at the verses that you haven't highlighted yet. Right? So everybody's going to go home and highlight every verse in their Bible when they get home. And aha, Eddie, look. Look at it. Right? But let's go a little bit further. Let's go to the verse immediately following this awesome verse. And let's see what God is further saying to Solomon. Verse 15. He says this. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. What is God talking about? Is he talking about the palace where him and Solomon are having this conversation? Is he talking about another city? Is he talking about another nation? Is he talking about another kingdom or another country? No, God is talking about the temple. He's saying that my ears will be open and my, uh, my, ears, my eyes will be attentive and my ears will be open to the prayers offered in this place, the temple. The original Hebrew word for the word name, because I'm a geek and I'm a nerd and it's what I do, I had to look it up. I'm like, this, I'm like, if you read the verse, it has it in caps. I'm like, why does it have it in caps? It stands out to me for some odd reason. Well, the Hebrew word for the word name is shame. Now, it's not shame like I'm embarrassed. No, it's actually spelled S-E-M with a whole bunch of weird grammatical stuff around it, right? But what it means is reputation, glory. His name, his reputation, his glory will be there forever. His eyes and his heart will always be there in the temple. And I have some really good news for you. In the New Testament, believe it or not, The temple gets an upgrade. It gets an upgrade. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? The temple made a move from a physical place to an intimate place right here. It made a move. It moved. It shifted, right? My eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayers offered where? In this place. My name, my reputation, my glory will be where forever? It should be here. My eyes and my heart will always be here. Is he? Is he though? Is our Lord and Savior here? Is he in the upgraded temple of your heart? Because if he is, there's good news. His eyes are open. His eyes are attentive. His ears are opened to the prayers that you would give in this place. 
His name is there. His glory is there. His reputation is there. To put it another way, to make it very simple, do you have the presence of God in your life? Do you have the presence of God in your life? Why was the temple so important in Chronicles? Why did God, what is God wanting to let us know? It's about my presence. And do you have it? It's about my presence. And do you have it? For God's people, because remember, they had to go back and rebuild it. For God's people, it meant that God's represent. See, you have to understand. See, the temple is not the presence of God. God is the presence of God. The temple was a representation of the presence of God. And to see the temple rebuilt for them would mean that God's presence is now with us again. His reputation, his glory is now with us again. But when God's people returned from their exile, something strange happened. The temple was left untouched. It was left untouched. They rebuilt their homes. They rebuilt the city a little bit. But the temple was left in ruins. Why? Why would you leave something that represents him in shambles and laid waste all over the place without giving it a second thought? You see, it's because the people, remember, Chronicles was written after all of this had happened. So it's kind of like a peek back, right? You see, the people didn't touch the temple because they were waiting. They were waiting for God to do something. They were waiting for God to act. They were waiting for God to move. They were waiting for him to show them what the next step was. They were waiting, in all reality, if you do a lot of research and if you do a lot of study into it, they were waiting for God to appoint to them another king, another, Messiah, another king, the Messiah, to lead them into the next phase of their living, their life. And since none of that immediately happened to them when they returned, they took it upon themselves to just say, God, I'm waiting on you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had certain moments in your life where you felt like you were waiting on God? Maybe some of us feel like that right now, that we're waiting for God to shift. We're waiting for God to move. We're waiting for God to reveal. We're waiting for God to act. We're waiting on God to do something right now. And don't get me wrong. We're not just waiting kind of like, all right, God, any moment now. I'm not going to do anything. No. The reality is, you know, some of us are kind of active a little bit. Right? We do a couple of things here and there, you know, not too much because we don't want to, you know, oh, wait, wait, he's here. No, like, you know, we just, but in the back of our mind and in our heart, we're wondering, when is God going to bring it to pass? It could be anything. It could be a job promotion. It could be an answer to whether or not you're supposed to move to a different town. It could be confirmation on whether or not You're supposed to go back to school or attend college. Maybe you're waiting on God because he told you that he was going to have you write a book and you're waiting for the idea to actually start writing the book. Maybe you're waiting on God on whether or not the relationship that you are in, if you should stay or if you should go. Maybe you're waiting on God 
because you need some direction on your life. Anything, say something, God, lead me somewhere, do anything. And you're waiting. But at the moment, it's quiet. There's silence. And you find yourself waiting on him. Now, I think it's safe to say that we all know what happens if we find ourselves waiting for too long. If we find ourselves waiting for too long. Everyone here, let's be honest, everyone here has more or less likely a different threshold of when it comes down to waiting. Some people can wait longer than others. That's true. I told my wife this this morning, actually. I commute to work every morning with uh, one of my firefighter friends, right? And I'm telling you right now, the moment we come to a red light and the light, like, you know, it's a yellow light. I don't break the law. So I slow down. I come to the red light. I'm not like all you heathens out there who run the yellow light, right? Just joking. Just joking but I know you guys run it. No, so I stop, at the, I stop at the red light. Three seconds into just being at this red light, my boy, Eddie, go, press the gas. We can't wait. We've been waiting here forever. And I'm like, dude, are you serious? It's only been like three seconds, man. Some people have a different threshold for waiting. Some can wait longer than others, right? But for every single one of us, if we're waiting long enough, if we're waiting long enough, you know as well as I do that we can maybe start to get a little impatient. Frustration can start to build. Anger can begin to boil up. Over time, if we're waiting long enough, we may even lose interest and not even care anymore about the thing that we were waiting for in the first place. Oh, it's, it's here? Ah, it's okay, whatever. Oh, the anniversary gift is late? Eh, I don't care. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Don't act. I like you'll know. Be on time. Be on time. Be on time. I speak from experience. Be on time. Be on time. Right? But it's the truth. We may even lose interest. And that's if we're waiting for a thing. That's if we're waiting for something. If you're waiting for someone, come on now. If we're waiting for someone, it gets even worse. Listen, listen. Forget it. I have seen relationships end because one person was left waiting. I have seen resentment and bitterness grow inside of a person because that person took too long. I have seen love disintegrate and hope dissipate into the air because people were left waiting. And unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes we tend to feel that exact same way towards God when we are left waiting for too long. Resentment and bitterness builds up while our love and our hope in him slowly declines. And because the God of the universe, who created everything that we know and love, he knows that his people will be going through something like this. He knows that leaving them waiting or them waiting on him would happen. And he's like, you know what? Let me kind of fix that a little bit. Let me, let me tell them something that's going to kind of switch everything up and turn everything on its head because... There's something that I need to tell them. Second Chronicles 16, 9. It says this, God's trying to give us a new perspective when it comes down to waiting. And I think it's very important for every single one of us here to understand what God is trying to do. Second Chronicles 69, the amplified version of the Bible. It says this, for the eyes of the Lord, and I love this verse, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose heart is completely his. 
The eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth so that he may support those whose hearts is completely his. You know what? I kind of like the way the message version puts it. Let's read what the message version, the message version of this one says. God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. God is always on the alert. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. What does that mean? It means that God is actively looking constantly for people whose hearts are aligned with his. He is constantly looking for people who wish to serve and be a part of his kingdom building purpose. God always has his eyes open, scanning the surface of the earth for someone whose heart completely belongs to him. God is always looking. God is always active. To be honest, sometimes it's not us waiting on God. It's God waiting on us. It's God waiting on us. He's waiting on us to open up our hearts and let him in. He's waiting on us to upgrade the temple from the physical to the intimate. He's waiting on us to say yes to his purpose, to be completely sold out for him. He's waiting on us to go where he wants us to go, to speak to who he wants us to speak to, to live a life that completely reflects his glory and his name. He's waiting on us to desire nothing more than the awesome, amazing, and adventurous life that comes with being completely filled with his presence. God is waiting on us. And we stand there. We stand there more often than not, waiting on God to give us direction. We stand there waiting on him to speak, not realizing that, we are, that he already has. The problem is, We didn't like what he said. And because we didn't like what he said, we ignore it and we say, God, you know what? I'm going to wait for you to speak again. And this time, if I like it, then I'll pay attention to it. I tried that one time a whole bunch of years ago. And uh, God kept saying the same thing. (laughs) He never changed his tune. Eddie, I need you to do this. A few months later, Eddie, I need you to do this. Eddie, I need you to do this. He never changed it. He never told me something new. He never told me something more awesome until I did the thing that he wanted me to do first. We may not say that to him. We may not verbally confess something like that, but our actions or lack thereof shows it. Look at what happens at the end of Chronicles, at the end of Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter 36, starting at verse 23. This is what the king of Persia says, Cyrus. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem. Remember, the king of Persia, he was the one He wasn't the one. He was the one that allowed the people to go back after being in exile for so long, for 70 years. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Remember, southern kingdom. Any of you who are his people, 
any of you who are his people may go there for this task. And may the Lord your God be with you. You see, Cyrus wasn't going to go back himself and rebuild the temple, but he allowed God's people to go back and do it. He said, if you are willing to go back, if you want to do it, if that's something that you want to do, go back. You may leave. You may leave and go back for that purpose. They were given the instructions to rebuild the temple, not their homes. But I get it. Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? We have to do something. When it rains and it snows, you know, we have to have some form of shelter. I get it. We have to rebuild your homes. But they were sent back to specifically rebuild the temple. But they only rebuilt their homes. And they were waiting on God to show them the next thing. How can he show you the next thing if you didn't do the first thing that he told you to do? Sometimes I feel that this temple for us is just left alone and not touched. When this is the thing that God has told us he wants to rebuild, that he wants to be a part of. They left the job half done. They left it half done, which leads me to the last point that I want to share with every single one of you this morning. Half committed hearts only get half the job done. Half committed hearts only get half the job done. Half committed hearts only get to realize half of their purpose. Half committed hearts find themselves waiting, unable to realize that God has already spoken. And I'm sure that you, just like me, don't want to live a life that is only at half. Who wants to live a life like that? Only at half. I want to live a life that is full. I want to live a life that is full of the presence of Jesus. A life where he hears my prayers and heals my heart. A life where he forgives my sin and restores me to himself. A life where every other possible version of my life pales in comparison to the one that Jesus offers. Because it is an amazing and awesome life. That's the life that I want to live. Wouldn't you want the same? So I wonder, I wonder that if the eyes of the Lord were to move to and fro right now throughout this place, if the eyes of the Lord were to move to and fro throughout Christ Fellowship this morning, how many hearts would he find that are completely committed to him? How many? How many hearts would he find that are completely his? Is your heart one of those hearts? Is your heart one of those hearts that he would be able to say that about? I wonder. The book of Chronicles, as I told you, it's not one you should skip. The book of Chronicles is about reassuring his people about the hope 
that they should have. That even in the middle of disobedience and sin, in the middle of our disobedience and sin, if my people who are called by my name, that when life seems to be collapsing in all around you, if the temple has moved from the physical to the intimate here, his eyes will be attentive. His ears will be open to you. His eyes will be, he sees you. He hears you if he's here. What an amazing reassurance of hope that God gave his people back then. What an amazing reassurance of hope that he gives us right now. Every single person here, every single person watching online. Hope, commitment. When it comes down to us waiting, well, we now know that God is actively, constantly looking for committed hearts to fulfill his kingdom-building purposes. Maybe it's not you waiting on God. Maybe it's God waiting on you to make that next step, to make that commitment to him. Don't live half a purpose. Don't live half a life. Don't leave the job half done because you might find yourselves waiting You might find yourselves waiting, just as they were doing at the end of Chronicles, waiting when God has already spoken. When he has already spoken about what it is that he wants you to do. And I believe this morning, right now, that God has spoken, not just to everybody who's watching online, but I firmly believe that through his word, his word, that he has spoken to you this morning. And I know for a fact that some of us right now are left with a choice. Are we committed or are we only half? Some of us are left with another choice. Is the temple still here or is it here? You have that choice. I can't make it for you. Only you can do that. Told you Chronicles was dope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you so much for giving us your word, my God. Thank you so much for revealing your character, your nature, your heart to us, my God. Thank you so much, God, for every single person here, Lord, who was listening and paying attention, my God, to what it is that your Holy Spirit was speaking to them, my God. And I pray right now, my Lord, that we would realize that if your people, my God, who are called by your name, my Lord, would humble themselves, pray, pray, seek your face, and turn from their wicked ways, my God. We pray, Lord, that we will be able to experience your healing, your forgiveness of our land, the forgiveness of our hearts, my God, that you would come into our lives in a way like none before, my Lord. And I pray, God, that we would make a decision to move from the physical to the intimate, my God, to have you here, my God, because we know now, Lord, that your eyes are open and that your ears are attentive to the prayers that are offered in this place, my God, where your presence needs to be, where your presence should be, my God, where your glory is reflected in our lives, my Lord. And right now, 
with every head bowed, if that is something that you want, if that is a commitment that you want to make, if that is, a, if that is the next choice and you don't want to wait anymore, God is telling you, listen, you're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. And you need to take that next step. If that's you right now, all you have to do is just stand where you're at as a sign of your commitment to him for this. Don't worry about the person who's to the left or to the right of you. It's okay. If you're at home watching this online, you can stand where you're at, and it's still the same. God is everywhere. Amen. 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 A couple people on the balcony. Amen. Amen. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you in the front. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. He hears you. He sees you. He sees the commitment that you are making right now. The Next step that you want to take in your life, God sees it all. Lord, we thank you right now for these people, my God. I pray, Lord, that you would touch their lives, my Lord, in a way that it has never been touched before, my God. That your purpose, your glory, your dreams, my God, would be instilled inside of them, my God. That you would show them the next step, my God. That you would be there with them, my God, showing them the way that they should walk, the things that they should do, the purpose that they need to accomplish in their lives for you, my Lord. We pray, Lord, that there would be an ushering of the Holy Spirit into their lives that would affect every area, my God. Not just their homes, but their streets, their families, their extended families, their work, my God. Everywhere they would step foot, would they be a light unto you, my God. And every person who has that, my Lord. May you give them a hope, a hope that cannot be broken, a hope that cannot be shaken, a faith that cannot be broken, my God. We thank you so much for this, my Lord. And in Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.